Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. In particular, right now, we're working through the book of Acts. And uh, uh, I, I think I looked on their notes, the 114th study, is it? Or is it 113 today? Does it say on there anywhere? I don't know. There's a bunch of them now in uh, this study as we've been working through. We've done the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, John. We took them out of order. We did Luke. Then we're doing Acts week after week. Luke and Acts were doing together because they were both written by Luke, as you know now. And uh, you also know who they were written to. They were written to Theophilus, which means lover of God. We think it was a real person, but even if it's just written to us as lovers of God, it still counts. And um, my hope is when you look at the book of Acts this way, and you take time and you, you start connecting the missionary journeys of Paul with the letters that we're about to read in the future. When you start connecting with the history of the church and how it came to be, when you start connecting with that, that's our story still. That at some, in some ways, and I always want to say this carefully because we're not writing Bible anymore, that's done. But in some ways, we're still a part of the Acts story. Our stories, our lives that God uses, our... Um, uh, kingdom stuff, the things that we are doing for God it, are still part of the book of Acts. And when you read the book and you see that, you know, these were people like us that, that God was using in all sorts of ways. You know, I'm, obviously we're not all the Apostle Paul, but, uh, but you know, we're, we're a lot like some of the players uh, in the story that get mentioned who do all sorts of neat things and not really written about, but you find out they were living for God and, and wherever they had opportunities, you know, they were... They were ministering and reaching out and loving people, and, and that's what we're supposed to do. That's, that's what it looks like. And, um, and so we're, we're still carrying on in, that, in this whole story. We are still, it's still the acts of the apostles and disciples, which is what we are and what we're called to in the process. So my hope is that, that you start thinking that way so that you, you, um, you connect in a different way than maybe you have. A lot of times people read the Bible and don't connect. Um, and you need to. It's, it's your story. Uh, you know, it's all a, a love letter from God to us. And, and this part, the New Testament, as it relates to the church, I mean, all of it's important. Don't get me wrong. I love the Old Testament, too. We're just not there yet. Keep coming. We're going to get to it. So, yeah, I got it mapped out for the next 17 and a half years. God willing. Deo valente. Remember me saying that? God willing. We'll have this, we'll have this thing knocked out in... Uh, uh, I think it's 2030. So, <laughs> but you got anything better to do on Wednesday? I don't think so. You get a free meal. You get to come out and talk and hang out. We get to worship, and then we hop into the Word for a little while. So it's, it's really a good thing. So don't make plans on Wednesday nights for the next 17 and a half years. Other than this. Sound good, Roy? I expect you to be here. I, you will be here. I like that. <laughs> I believe it, too. Right there. Amen. Okay. So, um, so the, the, 
you can start to see how it fits together, especially if you, you know, think about it and remember it and remember what's happening, that in the beginning of the book of Acts there, you know, we, we, we finished with, uh, in, in Luke, it was all about Jesus and his ministry and the cross and the defeating death and the resurrection, and then Acts starts, and, and uh, it's about the ascension and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and the beginning of the church in Jerusalem with the ministry sort of centered around Peter and John and, and some of the other guys, and then um, persecution comes and the church begins to spread that first layer, you know, out to Samaria and Judea. We see it move a little bit and the Holy Spirit's moving on people and guiding the church. And, and so we see people introduced to us besides the apostles, guys like Stephen and Philip, who've popped back up in the story. And then Saul, um, who comes in around Acts chapter 9. Now we know him as Paul. And he has this tremendous encounter with Jesus, which we're going to read about again in Acts 22. He's going to recount the story. And, and then we see, you know, Peter uh, kind of moving around as well, doing some stuff as the Lord leads him. And he's, he actually goes and breaks ground, really, with the Gentiles, first at Cornelius' home. And the Holy Spirit comes, and that was huge uh, for the church. And then, you know, we saw Saul in the beginning, and he started a little ministry in Jerusalem. But the persecution was too intense that, that they asked him to leave, and he went out to Tarsus for about 10 years. And then, then we see the church in Antioch develop. Remember how this happens? And Barnabas was that guy, and he remembers... Saul, and he says, I need Saul here. And he goes and he brings him back to Antioch, and the church there just takes off. And, and as they're there, they, they get this leading of the Spirit that Barnabas and Saul are supposed to go and start taking this message out to the Gentiles. And off they go. Missionary journeys one and two and three. And, and uh, um, Saul is now referred to as Paul along the way. Paul and Barnabas have had an argument, and they've parted company, which lets us see that Paul's a real person. And, and uh, um, that God uses... See, I love the fact that God uses us the way we are. Paul's probably a little stubborn. Just so you know. And Barnabas was... Barnabas, remember, was the son of encouragement. So he would have been... Not that Paul didn't. Paul talks a lot about grace and mercy. But he would have been the guy trying to extend a lot of grace and mercy. That's Barnabas. So when, when John Mark kind of split on missionary journey number one... Um, and, and Barnabas wants to bring him because they're cousins. On missionary journey number two, Paul says no, because he left us the last time. And the, the argument, it says, was sharp enough that they parted company. Barnabas went with John Mark in one direction, and Saul, Paul, takes Silas and moves in another. At some level, God uses that, because now there's two big missionary teams out and about doing stuff. But nonetheless, the, the splits are, what you need to know is when we read through the letters, you'll see that all of that gets worked out. Those guys reconcile and work it all out, which is cool to know. And at the end of Paul's life, he's asking for John Mark. I really like that part. Send me John Mark. I need him. Isn't that cool? I don't want him with me. And then it's send him to me. I really need him. And, you know, it worked out for John Mark because he wrote the Gospel of Mark. Pretty, pretty big player in the kingdom, all in all, at the end. So uh, you get to see these things. And, and so we've watched Paul now for chapter after chapter as he's on these missionary trips. And he goes uh, into spots, and he, he, uh, he usually starts in the synagogue. It's his pattern, and he preaches the gospel. And um, there's, that's good for two reasons, because there are some Jews who listen, and there's usually God-fearers in the temples in their own little section that are Gentiles in these remote areas who have a connection with, with Yahweh God but, but don't know Jesus, and the message resonates with them, and it's usually a starting ground. And when he gets kicked out of the synagogue, which he always does... Uh, he starts ministering to the Gentiles, and they start a church. And he does that place after place. Now, sometimes he gets run out of town. Uh, sometimes he gets beaten to death and 
comes back to life and keeps going. Uh, he has lots of bad experiences along the way, but this is his thing. And he's done that now through three missionary trips, and he's visited all these places and started a whole bunch of churches. And the guys that travel with him, he keeps sending back, these guys need help, go over there, you go hang with them. And then they're, now remember, what sets up the rest of the most of the Bible is these churches are writing Paul with questions. They're brand new churches. They don't have a clue what they're supposed to do. And, and so all these things are happening, and you can imagine in any group of people, there's all sorts of stuff coming up that wasn't covered in the year that, or sometimes in the two weeks that Paul's with them. They don't have a clue. And so they write him letters. Paul, what do we do? Or they send him a message. And he writes a letter back. And when you start reading, as we move on in Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians and, and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, these are all places where he's been and he's answering questions in the letter. So, so hopefully you can connect that to the story now instead of them just being books in the Bible. They're, they're, they're letters written by Paul back to churches that he planted on these missionary journeys. And, and that's the context from which you read them. And, and then the whole thing begins to take on a whole different kind of scope. And, and you begin to see it fit into the story. So rather than just kind of, you know, taking little bits out of context, you see how it all fits into this bigger picture that's been happening from the beginning and ultimately how it ties in from beginning to end. Uh, the whole Bible has this beautiful flow to it that we've talked about several different times uh, in very long series about how it all ties together. At some point we'll, we'll do it again. But not until 2030, because i got plans. <laughs> Doesn't mean I guess they can't change. But anyway, um, so now uh, Paul is, is, feels compelled to go to Jerusalem. And he's been making that journey over the last chapter. And, and one of the big reasons is he's got this offering he's collected from the Gentile churches, because the church in Jerusalem is in need. And he wants to get this big offering in to help them. And it's part of a, a sign or a symbol or a picture of the unity of Gentile and Jew in the church, which is this amazing concept that, that the Jewish people have had to accept in the church. Because remember, they, they, they didn't like Gentiles at all. And that stems back to the fact that they'd been oppressed by Gentile nations for hundreds of years, and, and they wanted restoration back to the, to the Davidic kingdom, to the time when they were the top nation on the earth. And they hadn't been that for a long time. And so how they'd handled the Gentiles was just not to deal with them pretty much. And that you didn't have contact with them. You didn't eat with them. You didn't fellowship with them. You didn't do any of those things. And so, um, you know, when these guys start embracing them, this is a huge problem for the Jewish believers. And that's what Paul's going to encounter now that he's come back to Jerusalem. And remember, last, last time when we met, the, the guys in Jerusalem were really concerned about Paul showing up. They were happy that he came, and they were happy to hear about his ministry, and I'm sure they were very happy for the offering. But they immediately sort of go into, man, we've got to do some crowd control here, Paul. These people have been spreading rumors about you. This is not going to go well. And uh, they were right. So even though Paul tries to do some stuff, you know, and he gets involved with some guy's sacrifice thing, and he's going to pay their vow, and shaves his head, and gets into some other stuff, um, it, it doesn't fly. And, and uh, we left Paul when he'd been uh, whipped up by an angry mob and the Roman uh, commander had come in and sort of they've carried him away now trying to protect him at some level but not knowing what's going on either and trying to find out what's happening, why this mob is so incensed, what's going on, what Paul has done and, and that's kind of where, remember last chapter it just left in a really weird spot where Paul had asked for permission to speak and given it and that ended the chapter.
So that's kind of where um, we pick it up today in, uh, in what's going on. Remember, and I said too, that um, even though Paul had, had said he would do some of these um, old, old Jewish traditions, uh, he was doing it so he could preach the gospel. Uh, Paul's taken some heat over time from different people saying that it was a compromise. I don't believe it was. I think Paul's heart was such, and we read about it in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 20, 21, where he said, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not under having the law. Paul had figured out how to... Um, be with people where they were, not compromise his belief in Christ, but, but the things that he didn't think is relevant, it didn't matter what he did, if that's how somehow he was accepted, in order to preach the gospel, he didn't care. And so he, 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 that's why he could go and practice the traditions he no longer believed in, because he didn't think, it didn't, didn't make a difference. It wasn't, it wasn't compromising his belief in Christ. All it was doing was opening some doors for him to preach the gospel. And so, uh, you know, and I... Remember then I said that doesn't excuse us to do things that we shouldn't do. In, you know, it doesn't mean now go and sin in order to preach the gospel to people that are in there. Well, I wanted to tell them about Jesus, so I just went right out and were doing what they were doing. That's no. <laughs> just clarifying. But you said Paul. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay. So. Here we go. Paul's just asked for permission to speak, and so begins Acts chapter 22. Verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood behind me and said, beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, 
Leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to, the Paul, to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. The man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly what Paul was being accused of by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he, bought Paul, then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Blessed be the word of the Lord, and you'll get another big chapter next week as Paul presents his case once again, this time to the Sanhedrin and chief priests. But... Here, see, here's what, here's what fascinates me about Paul, is that he uses every opportunity to talk about Jesus. And, you know, I, and I just see him here. Here this crowd's trying to kill him, this mob's trying to kill him. And he's, he's sort of being rescued by this Roman centurion to a, to a degree. I mean, it, it's a, and, and, and he gets out there and he sees this big crowd and he thinks, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe I can give him the gospel. And so he says to the centurion, hey, can I speak for a minute? Said, okay. And in his defense, uh, he, he begins to include the, the, the wind-up to the, the message and to what happened and to the change in his life. And, and he'll take it even further with the Sanhedrin uh, when he gets with them in the next chapter. But, but I love that about Paul, that, that he, whatever the situation, he was always looking for ways to tell people about Jesus. Wherever he could work it in, however he could, in the midst of whatever he was going through, he still looked for those opportunities, and he seized on them. Now, in verse 1, he says something that, that I think is really fascinating about this whole chapter. Um, because he, he addresses the crowd with these words, brothers and fathers. Um, do you know, you know where he heard that? Acts chapter 7, that's what Stephen says when he tries to address the crowd there. And know, you know who was there, right? Paul was there. And I think Paul is, is like almost in a very similar situation, only completely changed. Tables are completely different now. He's the one in the hot seat. And I, and I wonder throughout his life, because he brings Stephen up in this, how that must have impacted him on his journey, knowing, because he says, I stood there, I guarded their clothes while they killed him. And I was after them all. How, can you imagine, I mean, just think, how that must have impacted him throughout his life. 
And he was God's guy, and he knew it. God was using him and did mighty things. But he had, that was part of his story, was that he had stood there, egging it on, so to speak, guarding the clothes. See, when these guys, in this story too, you'll see they start throwing their clothes off. They start tossing their cloaks when they're getting ready to kill somebody. And, and that's what had happened with Stephen, because he was watching their clothes. So that he, I, I think it's, a, it's almost like a tribute to Stephen, 20 years later, 30 years later when he starts his address with the same words, brothers and fathers. So it's a very powerful connection. Acts 7, 2, you can go and read it for yourself. Then, um, verse 2, Paul speaks in Aramaic to the crowd which quiets them down because that was, that was sort of the common language among the Jewish people of all the regions. And so this Jewish crowd that had been whipped up could all understand what was being said um, as he spoke Aramaic. Now remember, apparently the commander doesn't speak Aramaic because he doesn't have a clue what's going on. And, and well, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so, so because he speaks in Aramaic, they, they get quiet. And they start to listen to his story. And he, he then, in verses 3 to 11, uh, he, he talks in this part of the story um, to, about how zealous he was, that he was as zealous as any of them, that he had the right pedigree, that he'd grown up in Jerusalem, that his, his rabbi was Gamaliel, who was very well respected, his teachings then, they would have immediately understood and known. And, and, uh, uh, and he says, you know, in fact, he was determined to stamp out Christianity. That was what he felt his call was. That, that his zealous call for God was to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. And he was, he was under it. And he said the only thing that could have changed that was this supernatural encounter with God. So the only thing that could change someone like me was this encounter that I had with God there on the Damascus Road. Jesus, I, I saw Jesus. I heard from Jesus. And he told me to stop. He told me to stop persecuting him and said, I've got a mission for you. And so he, 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 he begins that with a crowd. And so verses 10 through 13 there, he's, he's talking about the whole story, just like we read it in Acts 9. Um, you know, he, he talks about the blindness and in a little more detail than we got it the first time. Um, uh, how Ananias came and prayed for him, and he saw again, um, and, and he gets his sight back. And then verses 14 through 16, he, he talks about, and very important, he talks about these references of seeing Christ. Um, the righteous one is what is talked about. Very important because Paul, in defense of his ministry later on, um, is going to list that as sort of one of the things that qualifies him to be an apostle. See, Paul took it from every direction. Paul, Paul caught it from <laughs> the, the Jewish leaders. Paul caught it from some of the churches that he helped start. Paul caught it from people that were jealous all over. Paul was catching it all over the place. And, and so at some point, you know, he was having to say, well, listen, because these other guys had come in and tried to say Paul was no good and all this stuff. Uh, at, at times, he, he has to connect to his apostleship. And it has to do with him seeing Jesus. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 and 8. I know it's not in your notes. Write it down if you want to look at it. It says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. His connection was different because his connection wasn't with, like the guys who'd followed him. His was there on the Damascus Road. 1 Corinthians 9, 1, he says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? That's 1 Corinthians 9. 1. Paul is uh, uh, tying those things together. That's why it's important when it comes up. That, that's part of Paul's apostleship credentials. He saw Jesus, heard from Jesus there in that encounter on the Damascus Road. 
Um, verse 17 through 21, uh, Paul's talking about the Lord speaking to him, how he tells him to leave uh, Jerusalem, and then he, uh, he, he tells his crowd um, that God also commissioned him at that point to go and speak to the Gentiles and to give this message to the Gentiles. And, and the crowd was listening until Paul said that. And then their hatred sparked, and they became enraged, and this was their big issue. They, they didn't want, they couldn't see the Gentiles having anything to do with their God. And they, they wouldn't tolerate it in any way, shape, or form coming to them through the Apostle Paul. It's another big um, time of, of the Jewish nation, nation just saying absolutely no to Jesus once again. The leadership just saying no. We don't want to hear about Jesus. We saw what he did. We met the guy. We listened to him. We liked the miracles and stuff. They were from God, but we don't like his message, and we're not going to receive it. And it's not for us. And you absolutely are not going to tell us that God's got anything to do with the Gentiles. Well, we won't receive it. We won't hear it. And, and what they do, which is what they've been doing all along, which is so contrary to the very law they say they're protecting, is they, they kill him. They want to kill him. They just, that's what they've been trying to do all along. That's how they want to wipe this thing out. They want to kill everybody involved. And so they, they rise up with these shouts. And um, pretty intense what they shout, don't you think? Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. That's a, can you imagine a whole crowd of people shouting that out at you? But again, now, see, Stephen got a taste of this too. But Paul was experiencing what Jesus experienced in those same crowds 30 years later. It's the same thing happening all over again. And, and Jesus said, this stuff's going to happen to you guys. You know, they, they, they're going to treat you the way they treated me. And so he's, he's encountering it again. He comes up against it in giving the message. He, 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 he's there. And the crowd goes into this frenzy, and it says that they're taking their clo cloaks off, which I tell you is what they're doing when they're getting ready to kill somebody, and they're, they're flinging dust into the air. It's an expression, you know, of their intense rage in this process. And so the commander sees it's getting out of hand, so he grabs up Paul again. And uh, he's going to get him out of there to get to the truth. And he decides that probably the best way to do that is with a good flogging. Um, I don't know, you know. He hasn't even talked to him yet. You'd think maybe you'd start with that. <laughs> Paul, I got a few questions for you. He'd have been happy to tell him. But now, in a flogging there under the Romans, different than sort of the, the, the lashes that he's been talking about in the past and the whips, the flogging would have been like Jesus got where they, they use that horrible device where in the cords they have pieces of metal and sharp stuff so that when they hit him with it, it rips out chunks of flesh. And a lot of times they don't even survive. Most people didn't survive a flogging. Uh, you know what it did to Jesus. I mean, it weakened him to the point where he couldn't carry his own cross. I mean, that, that this was what... Paul was um, facing in, in the process. But Paul, they're, you know, he's getting, they're stretching him out for the flogging, and he mentions to a centurion, is this how you treat Roman citizens? Boop. That was a big card to pull out at that moment. And uh, can't blame him for pulling it out. Beats a flogging any day. <laughs> at that moment, use what you got. <laughs> By the way, and they, so the centurion goes, oops, and goes back to the commander and says, says he's a Roman citizen. Now, 
Th that might raise a question with some of you, because, you know, they weren't carrying passports. Uh, wouldn't everybody just say that right before flogging? Because if, it, you know, I, I would, what's that, what do you say? <laughs> so the commander comes, so are you really a Roman citizen? Paul says, yes. Why would he, see, the, the deal was this, um, if you lied about that, they'd just kill you. So most people, you know, I guess it, flogging would ultimately be better than definitely dying in the horrendous ways that they killed you back then. Which so, so he was pretty sure if he said it. And the, guy, the, the, the commander said, I had to pay for mine. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. Uh, Paul's parents were Roman citizens. How they got that, I don't know. But he was a, a natural Roman citizen. And so um, that avoided the flogging. And then the, the commander, since he didn't have a clue what was going on, didn't speak Aramaic, hadn't heard all of Paul's defense, um, was now waiting. And he said, all right, tomorrow we're going to get in front of the Sanhedrin, the sort of religious leaders of the Jewish people, and we're going to find out what's going on. And uh, that's what he does. And that's what happens in Acts 23, and we're not there yet. So we'll pick that up next week, and we'll watch. Paul does some neat stuff in this, because the Sanhedrin is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. And the major difference... You've heard me say this before, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is their belief in the resurrection. And the Pharisees believe in the resurrection, and the Sadducees don't. That's why they're sad, you see. That's how you remember. That's how I remember. So, Paul's going to use that, and people get upset because they think he's using that to... But he uses that in order to preach about the resurrection. He gets the Pharisees thinking, and then he hits them with the gospel. I love that. You'll see it as you read Acts chapter 23. Okay, that's enough for today. Um, if you're watching my video, thank you for watching. If you need anything, call us, write us. We'll do whatever we can to help. And uh, we're going to close here with prayer. So if you have your prayer requests, you can pass them up to me. And